It is good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning and, and honored that you're here. And we are seeing, as Pastor Matt mentioned, we are seeing a growth in our attendance and in our attendance numbers. And so, uh, like we, as he mentioned, you know, if you get here a few minutes early and uh, you want to move towards the front to allow people in the back uh, that come in a little bit later, what have you, some of our guests might want to not sit totally in the front, like front row of the church their first time here. Uh, we would appreciate that. That would really be uh, a blessing. And in most churches, it would also be called a miracle. So um, we <laughs> I said that in the first service and a couple got up from the back row and walked right up to the front and sat down. Uh, I didn't mention it, but uh, I was grateful. So anyway, it was it was it was positive, um, very positive. Well, we're in a new series now. It's called The Divine Mentor. And and I'm excited about this series. I think it's going to help us grow in our love for Christ and, and a love for His Word. And, and I pray that it blesses you. I know that it's blessing me even as we're working through it. And so we're looking at Genesis chapter 3 today, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, and, and in this series, we're, we're studying the mentoring program that our Heavenly Father set up for His children. He, he, he desires to walk with you in your life. And the, the, the idea of mentoring is a big idea in our world today. Everybody's talking about their, your mentors and you need to connect with a mentor, whether you're in business or you're in school or you're in any facet really of life. The, the fact is, is that the, the idea of mentoring has become a very, very big deal. It's, it's a bigger deal than CrossFit. And you know, that's a big deal. And it's, it's a bigger deal than kale. And, uh, for a while there, kale, Fixed everything. You've got, you, you know, you're having a heart attack right now. Eat some kale. You'll be fine. Um, it doesn't work that way. But that's what they, you know, it's, it's bigger than anime. Yeah, that's big. That's really big. It's bigger than fidget spinners. Uh, that's, that's something right there. It's big. It's just being a mentor is big. And so historically how it worked was a, a, a son or a daughter would work alongside their parent in any particular in area of industry and of life, and they would they would be guided. The the elder would train and teach the younger, so that they could eventually take over the family business or the family farm. And and there was this whole process that they went through. But if you wanted to be in a in a uh, area of life or development that maybe your family wasn't naturally a part of, then you could pay or you could apply or work toward what they would call an apprenticeship, where you would sit with the master and the master would teach you through your uh, through trial and error oftentimes and through watching them and then doing it yourself to the point where you then eventually the student became the master and and it continued to propagate things like candle making and and carpentry and all the other uh, areas of life and, and pursuits of occupation and so on but eventually the educational system began began to get better and better and so they began to bring a lot of the learning into the schoolhouse and in that process things got a little bit better in one way because they began to produce more and more uh, of these particular occupations and pursuits and you could teach many more at one time through this educational system. But eventually what happened is the distance between the personal relationship that was gained in this mentoring program or apprenticeship program began to wane. And so the distance between student and teacher got less and less and less 
Now you have one teacher in a classroom of 20 or 30 students in some places, and it's very difficult. They don't, they don't stay with them through the entire educational process and so on. And so in one way it got better because of the fact that you could produce more, but it, in another way it got worse because, well, you didn't have the personal connection. And while the personal connection wasn't always exactly desired or what have you. The fact is, we are not built, we're not designed to live life alone. So you have a, a separation that's going on, and yet the desire to be connected remains strong. Now, I forgot to tell you something at the beginning of the service, and that is that in your bulletin, you'll find something new this week, and that is a section in the middle, section in the middle for sermon notes. And so if you're a note taker, hopefully this will help you in your note taking pursuits. And maybe you, maybe you do it on paper, maybe you do it on your phone, however you take notes, it's fine with me. I just appreciate it whenever people grab that information. I know that information blesses me, and I hope that it blesses you to go back and reference it. And so, the desire for that personal connection never left. And so people began to do things like find mentors, find, we see it now, we see life coaches and we see career coaches and we see all kinds of different coaching and different mentoring programs that are out there. In fact, the other day I saw an advertisement for one guy who said, I'm a coach of coaches. So if you want to coach people in their life, then help, I'll help you, I'll coach you in your coaching. And, and I like it all. I, I think all of it has a place and all of it has a benefit and, and it brings certain values to our lives. The coaching, the mentoring. We have to learn from someone. So who are we going to learn from in your life? And as we move through this series, we're going to see examples of how God mentors us. And we're going to learn how to receive that which He is putting in to our lives. And so, in our reading today, we're reading in the New Testament. And Scripture is divided into New Testament and Old Testament. New covenant, new promise, old promise. New way of doing things, old way of doing things. And so, we're reading in the New Testament, but he's referencing how things were done in the Old Testament. And so, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. It says, These things the things that happened in the Old Testament, were written, uh, these things happened rather to, to them as examples for us. And they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. It happened to them, but it's meant to help us. It's an example for our lives. So Scripture was written to us, and it was written for us. It was written to us as the story of God's relationship with humanity. God's unchanging love for His children. It was written to us so that we could understand what's going on with God and how He's connected to us and how much He loves you and how much He loves me. But it's also written for us. It's for us so that we can gain a revelation of how our Father thinks, how He acts, what matters to Him? What doesn't matter to Him? In fact, it contains everything we need to know for certain about God. That's what His Word is. That's the value of His Word. It was written because God loved you and I, and He wanted you and I to be able to know Him. 
Now, I have three thoughts for us today. And thought number one is this. Mentoring you through life was God's original idea. From the very beginning of time, God revealed His desire to walk through life with you. From the very beginning. In fact, we read about it in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 8. The scripture says this, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, some cool breezes were blowing this morning. I don't know about this evening, but this morning it was, it was, it was, it was cool breezes. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. They had been given the law. They'd been given the rules. They'd been given one rule. How many would like to live by one rule right now? I would. How many would like your taxes to just be one line right now? Yeah, amen. That's good preaching right there. The, uh... <laughs> so, they had, they had one rule, and they, and they broke it. And so, when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, they hid. Now, it's interesting how this worked, because they, they didn't want to see Him because they had disobeyed Him, and so they wanted to hide from Him, much like my children... Maybe once or twice, didn't do what they were supposed to do, and when they heard a familiar sound of our car driving into the par- driveway, of the door opening and closing, and and a certain cadence of footsteps. You know how that is. You know who's coming in just by how fast they're walking. You know, if it's clippity-clippity-clip, that's probably mom. But if it's boom, 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 that's probably dad. And so, as I would walk up and open the door and close the door, and I'd say, hey, I'm home, and usually they would run out and smile and beam and say, Father, we love you. We're so delighted that you're here. When that happened in my mind, the, um, <laughs> I knew everything was okay. But whenever I'd walk into the house and nobody would come out, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, I knew something had happened in that house that I was not going to appreciate. And so I would say, hey, and Adam and Eve hear something familiar. I want you to notice that they were not confused about what they were hearing. They heard a sound and they said, that's God walking in the garden. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be here with us. He's going to, we're going to commune with him. But because we've messed up, we don't want to be there. So they went and hid themselves away. Now, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it created this this distance between them and him. Because the holy God couldn't commune with unholy man. But God understood this was going to happen. And so God spoke to Moses. He already had a plan. And he speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to write down what I'm telling you. And Moses begins to write what we now know as the Holy Bible or the Scripture. He begins to write the story as God outlines it for him. And and the creation of Scripture began over almost 2,000 years 
Forty different authors wrote 66 different books. They wrote in three different languages. They were shepherds. They were kings. They were fishermen. They were prophets. They were military generals. One was a cupbearer. Another one was a priest. And each one of them is writing. And some of them didn't even understand what they were writing. If you read in the book of Daniel, Daniel is writing as inspired by God and And he literally writes, God, I don't understand what I'm writing right now. And God said, that's okay. You're not supposed to. The people upon whom the end of the age will come, they'll get what you're writing. And Daniel's like, okay. (laughs) And he keeps writing. They didn't even know what they were writing in some moments. But yet they wrote as God gave them The words to write down. And with all of this being true, it's an amazing reality that the Scripture displays a flawless consistency. Can I tell you this morning that when you hold your Bible, whether it's in print or on digitally, you're holding a miracle in your hand. It's a miracle, literally, that you're holding. Why did God put this miracle together for you? It's because He loves you and you want, He wants you to know Him. This Bible that I'm holding right now is a, one of the treasured possessions of mine and I always have to figure out how it opens and, and how to read it because this Bible is in the Farsi language. It is, see the, the language of Farsi had changed so much over the last many years that very few common people were able, able to read the Bible. And so a man by the name of Sam Yegnazar had a dream to translate the Bible into modern Farsi. And so he connected with a gentleman by the name of Mr. Hassanian. And Mr. Hassanian uh, agreed. He was a, a brilliant, brilliant uh, philosopher and theologian. And he knew modern Farsi. And so he, he, he agreed with Mr. Sam uh, Yegnazar to, to, to translate the Bible into the modern Farsi language. And three days later, they found him hanging by his neck in a tree on, off a tree in a park. It was the same day that his granddaughter was born. It should have been an incredible day for the Hassanian family. It should have been a day of rejoicing and celebration, but it wasn't. It wasn't because he died. He was murdered. And why was he murdered? He was murdered because he agreed to translate Scripture for people who could not understand the Scripture for themselves. They finally found another philosopher and theologian that was willing to do the job, and they actually brought them out of Iran, and the job was finished years later. And at Westminster Abbey, whenever it was first unfurled, first revealed, the first Bible printed in modern Farsi was handed to the widow of Mr. Hassanian. And then the second was handed to his granddaughter, who sat beside her. This is one of the first ten Bibles. One of my very good friends was there. We had sent him on 
We, Grace Church and the church I was part of, Imaginations, the missions ministry, was part of this project, the Hassanian project it was called. And, and, and so we, we were able to send some delegation, uh, uh, delegates there to the unveiling and they presented one of them to a gentleman by the name of Kyle. And Kyle Hamrick came back and he said, Pastor, can I have a minute in service? And I said, okay. And, and he was going to give an update on how it had gone and he presented this to me. It's one of, it's one of my treasured possessions. Why did Mr. Hassanian willingly put his life on the line to translate a Bible, which often many of us have to be convinced to read? It's because he understood the value of this word. He understood that it holds the power of life and death. That it, even if you're not a person of faith this morning, maybe you're here because you're making someone else happy. I'm just thankful that you're here. But if you're here, I can tell you that the Word of God is still vibrant and viable even in your life. The truths that it brings forth will bless you even if you never did believe in Christ as your Savior. Oh, I hope you do. Because that's the value that it brings. That's the ultimate value of eternal life with Christ. But even if you didn't, the Word of God is so powerful that it will bring goodness. It will benefit and bless your life just because of what's held within it. Thought number two this morning is this. God mentors you by speaking to you. Maybe if you hang out with church people long enough, you'll hear somebody say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about this, but I haven't heard anything from God. God hasn't said anything to me. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, I'm in a dry place where I'm not really getting anything new from God right now. Or maybe you hear somebody say something like, I'm praying about God's will on this subject, but I haven't really heard anything yet. What all of these folks are saying is that, that they are in a position in life, they're trying to come to a decision in life where they need some clarity and some understanding. And so they are asking God for His wisdom, but maybe they haven't received that clarity or that revelation just yet. The reality is this, most of what God is going to say has already been said. Most of what he's going to say, he's already been said. He's already placed a constant or certain word into our lives. God has probably already made his position and his opinion known on a subject matter. One day a lady came to the altar for prayer at the end of a service. And and when asked what she would like to pray for, she said, uh, The Lord has spoken to me and told me, that I'm going to marry this particular man. Well, the problem was, is that particular man already had a wife. She felt like God was telling her she was going to marry. So her prayer was, she wanted the knowledge or the wisdom, she wanted some clarity on when their marriage was going to bust up so that she could plan their wedding properly. You know, some things don't need a lot of prayer. God's opinion on this was already well known. 
We didn't, nobody needed to go into prayer and fasting for 21 days to figure out what the reality was. She needed to repent. She needed to get her mind right. And she needed to move on with her life. He already said, don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Amen. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes. I love it. The Scripture is God's voice. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. That, that Greek word translated moved here is used 58 times in the New Testament. And it indicates a force that cannot be controlled and must be submitted to. These guys that wrote this this incredible book, they weren't contemporaries. They didn't hatch a plot to figure out what they were going to say to people thousands of years later. They were just writing as the Holy Spirit moved them. And they listened to His voice. It was God saying, here are some people out of all the people that have lived on the earth. Here are some people that I I believe are going to bless the lives of my children. I want to tell them about the story of King David. And I want to tell them about this lady by the name of Ruth. And I want to tell them about Rahab and, and her family. I want to tell them about these individual people. Because if they will hear their story, if they will let me share with them the lives of these people, their own lives can be bettered because of it. These people that I've told their stories in my word, they will be able to mentor them through life. This is why we call it the divine mentor. Because divinity said, this is a life worth looking at. And some of them are great examples of good things. And some of them are tragic examples of bad things. But every one of them can teach us a story, teach us a principle, teach us an understanding. Give us understanding of who it is that we need to become and how it is that we need to live. They are divine mentors in my life and, and in your life. In fact, a mentor, a mentor is something that is constant. Come here, Tyrion. I was going to ask for volunteers from the crowd, but I thought if I started unfurling a rope that nobody would really be comfortable enough to, to do it. So he's my son and he knows I love him. And so um, let's do this. You know I love you, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, very good. Thank you. The mentor in my life, the mentor in your life, is the constant. They, they, they've been places. They've seen some things. They've established themselves. They, they've, they've figured out how things are done. Tyrion drove us to church this morning. You know he knows everything. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's doing a great job. So, that's the mentor. And what the mentor allows us to do... The mentor allows me as the mentee, the one being mentored, it allows me to go on over here and try something out on this side of things. Maybe I feel like this over here might be a, a good idea for my life. And I, and I get over here, but I, I keep checking back with the mentor. I'm, I'm tied to the mentor. And, and the mentor is saying, hey, here we are, here we are. And then at some point, the mentor says, here, grab that rope and, and, and kind of tug on it like that. Oh, Let me get your attention. 
Because you've gone as far that direction as you need to go. If you go any further than this, it's going to be unhealthy for your life. If you go any further than this, negative things could happen to you. And so the mentor cares about me. And so he, he makes sure that I don't go too far. And so maybe I come back in and then I see something over there. Hey, let's go try that over here. And I can come over this side. And, and I, I'm able to explore life and see what's going on because I have a constant in my life that doesn't change, has my best interests at heart, and allows me to stay connected in a way where I can explore without destroying myself. How many people wish that they'd have had a good mentor in their, in their teens and in their twenties who could say, listen, if you, if you get out there, if you don't balance your checkbook, you're going to find out you run out of money. How about, you know what? You can fix a lot of things in this world, but you can't fix stupid. So don't marry it. Too soon? I don't know. Too soon? I didn't say that in the first service. (laughs) Lord, help me, Jesus. The mentor keeps you stable in moments when you would become unstable as you work through life trying to figure out things out. Thank you, son. You can take that down with you. That's what the Word of God does for us. It stays consistent. It stays solid. And it allows us to try this over here and allows us to look over here. But because we have mentors that God has set up for us, that if we'll pay attention, if we'll pay attention... They'll keep us from destroying our lives. They'll keep us from going too far. The divine mentor connects us with those, connects those he loves rather with the best examples. And he gave us access to these examples. And all we have to do is pick it up, open it up, and access them. Thought number three is that mentoring means Openness. Openness. The the mentor-mentee relationship requires each to reveal themselves. It's how you know what's good and how you know what's bad. That that person that is mentoring you is willing to say, you know, I really messed up in this area and this is how I should should have done it in hindsight. But a mentor that won't be open with you can't help you much. That's why I love, that's why I love the fact that David, we, we learn the story of David and man after God's own heart and man, he, he's, he's a guy worth admiring and worth following, but, but you also know that he made some really tragic choices. I'm so thankful the Bible isn't just full of all the great things people did, but it tells us where they failed as well. We're going to hear from some of those stories in this series. Proverbs chapter 6 is a a chapter that tells us things that God hates. He says, I don't like these things. But then again, John 3 tells us the things God loves. For God so loved the world. He tells us what He likes. He tells us what He hates. He tells us what He loves. But why do so many people struggle in their devotional lives? Why do so many people struggle to to access the Word of God on a regular basis? 
Many of us would say, well, it's because I'm too busy. And I understand busyness. I really, really do. But the statistical analysis firm Flurry just recently uh, put out the new statistics for 2017. And what they said is that the average consumer today spends five hours per day on their mobile devices, be it iPad or iPhones or other mobile devices. Streaming content, binge watching on Hulu and Netflix is at an all time high. I know, and I'm not against those things. I use all of those things. But let's also use our technology for that which is good. Maybe check out a Netflix for a few minutes and flip over to the YouVersion app and read a little bit of God's Word in your life. And you might say, well, wait a minute, I don't like reading. I'm not a big reader. I don't care for reading. That's okay. Listen to it. Listen to it. it you, just, you, just, you just hit this thing called play. And it'll read it to you. Listen while you're driving to work or driving home from work. or Put some headphones on and, and listen to it during your lunch break. Or, or if you're at school, listen to it while you're on, at home from school. Or whatever you need to do. However you need to manage your own time. But here's what I know for absolute certainty. Many people would say that my faith is one of the biggest uh, components and areas of my life. It, it, it's a very important area of my life. But yet we still struggle in the idea of spending time with God and His Word. And it's not always because we're too busy, because I can promise you this. What you find important, you will find time to do. It's why... I would, I would, I was working, I was working at, with my dad at the church and, and then I was also, uh, working at a job where I'd get home at sometimes 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning and, and then my, I'd get home and, and I'd, I'd, I'd dial the phone. <laughs> and it was on a really long cord attached to the wall and I would drag it with me and I would, Go out into the to the living room area, and I would call Christy. And on the first ring, she'd go, "Hello," because she didn't want to wake up her whole family with the phone ringing in the house because it wasn't little. It was, and everybody knew somebody was calling. And say, "Hello," and I'd say, "Hey, I just got home. Hey, how was your day? Oh, my day was good. That's good. What'd you do? I talked to a whole lot of people about insurance." Sounds riveting. So let's. So what's going on tomorrow? Well, I got to get up at eight. I got to be at the office at nine, and and I'm going to do that all again. Wow! Please tell me more. <laughs> and somewhere around two o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up, and I'd hear breathing on the other end of the line. And I'd go, Christy, Christy, huh? Hang up the phone. Okay. That was ridiculous. <laughs> but she was that important to me. So if I can spend an hour on the phone with the woman that I love, At two o'clock in the morning. But I'm too busy 
to spend time with my Savior in His Word. I'm not trying to condemn anyone here this morning. I'm trying to encourage you to see the importance of what it is we hold in our hands. Here's what I know. If the enemy can't make you sin, he will make you busy. I can't get them to do that wrong thing. They're too strong for that. But what I'll do is I'll just get them so busy that the distance between them and their Savior grows. Just got too much going on in life. That I think about the Lord, who I really love. Unfortunately, sometimes only on a Sunday morning. Here's what I think, here's why I think we struggle the most. And musicians, would you come to the stage here? Here's why I think we really struggle the most. And it's because while you're reading the Word or the Scripture, the Scripture's also reading you. You see, when I, when I begin to read the Scripture, the Bible tells me this in Hebrews 4. It says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Sometimes I don't like my innermost thoughts being exposed. If mentoring means openness, God is being open with me and with you. How open are we being with Him? Are we allowing Him to reveal the things in our heart? See, in my own life, I'm challenged every time I read Scripture. I'm challenged because I read about the leadership of Moses. He he teaches me how to lead, and I see every instance in which I fail to lead properly. He's a hard leader to live up to. And then I I look at the, the story of Peter, and he teaches me how to step out in faith. And I recognize every moment that I falter in my own faith. It's hard to talk to, to let Peter talk to me about what it means to, yeah, and so we were in this ocean and the waves were crazy. And then I, he said, come. And so I just kind of stepped out of the boat and started walking. I sunk a little while later, but you see, I've never walked on water. Maybe. I look at John and he teaches me how to be faithful and I see all the doubt in my mind in my life. But then I'm also encouraged because you have the story of, of David and he shows me how God always receives a repentant heart. Or maybe I look at the story of Joseph and he shows me that no matter how low I go in life, God never forgets me and he'll raise me up again. Or maybe I read the story of Jesus and he tells me that even if this world destroys me, my Father can raise me up. That's what we have in the Word of God. That's what we have in Scripture. We have a mentor that gives us boundaries. Gives us safety and security. And we have the privilege of accessing it every single day. I believe that if we allow Him to become our mentor, if we allow this Word that our Father has given us, 
to mentor our lives that we will become better students. We will become better husbands, better fathers, better mothers, better wives. We will, we will become better business people. We will become better employees and employers. We will be better because we're tied off to something solid that teaches us the will and the word of God. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning and ask this question. The question is, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me through this service? What are you calling me to? What are you developing me in? I want to receive what you have for me. You might be challenged in your devotional life. I encourage you. I'm not, I'm not asking you to give an hour a day. Give five minutes a day. Just, just make a start. Say, God, I just want to make a start with you. It's an area I struggle in, and I just, I just want you to help me. I love you. You know that. Help me to be mentored by you. My hope today is to awaken a love for God's Word and in your life in a new and a fresh way. I'm going to pray and our elders are going to come forward. If you need prayer in your life, in a moment we're all going to stand and they're going to sing. And if you need prayer in anything, it doesn't have to have anything to do with what we talked about today. It could be sickness or financial issues or job situations, stresses. could be kids, grandkids. It doesn't matter what it is. If you need prayer, we want to be here to pray for you. Father, right now we come before you and we ask you to touch our hearts. Soften us toward your word. As we read your word, let it speak to us. You've already established it. Help us to be open to the mentoring that you've provided. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.